You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. I'll be reading... Verses 10 through 14. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray... Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. This morning we have family worship, which means, kids, you're in this morning. Uh, you are never a burden, but a blessing. So uh, if you do get squirrely, I totally get it. I get restless myself. <laughs> Maybe someday I need to enter myself into the restless kids' room right across the hallway. So if parents, that serves you, we have the sermon pumped in through a speaker um, also, we have the children's ministry stuff there as well, so if that serves you, you can grab that. We also have totes in the hallway and kids' sermon notes as well. So before I begin and pray for God's help to preach His Word, I think an, an explanation is probably in order. Uh, earlier this week, the plan was to have Rob Chisholm preach. Uh, Rob is a pastor in our denomination, Northeast Philadelphia, actually. And every year, Rob and his family, they, they travel to Kansas City um, to, to vacation with their in-laws, with his in-laws. And then Rob zips up to Des Moines. This is what's happened the last two years. And he preaches and uh, you know, brings some of his family. As a matter of fact, my kids were looking forward to hanging out with their girls. Uh, Rob and I were joking earlier this week on the phone that he has kind of become the distinguished visiting pastor of Redemption Hill Church. Just as annually, he's here, he's preaching in June or July. Well, on Thursday, Rob messaged me, and he said his entire family got sick, like all, every single one of them. Now, being sick stinks. Being sick when you're not in your own home <laughs> really stinks. So I feel horrible for them. Uh, so it's my encouragement to you later today to pray for their entire family that they would recover quickly. So that's why I'm preaching this morning. Uh, one more note, Rob Chisholm and some of his kids were going to lead us in worship and song, actually. Like, their whole family's like crazy, ridiculous, good at music, you know? They're just that kind of family. They don't know, like, all their kids know multiple instruments, you know? And he leads worship for his church occasionally. So he was going to serve us that way as well because um, Ryan's out of town. And then Rob was supposed to be on his way to uh, uh, UP, Upper, Upper Peninsula, right? And so he re rearranged his travel schedule and these two lovely ladies who helped out this morning 
um, stepped up to lead us in some worship and song. So I want to say thank you to the three of you for serving us this morning in that way. So things changed quickly. I like things that are like very clear and programmatic. Things are planned well ahead of time and then things kind of go off. You got to pivot occasionally and we had to do that. So thanks for all who are serving. Um, and uh, let me pray right now and ask for God's help as we look at Matthew 18. In particular, a wonderful passage of, of our Lord going after this one wandering sheep. Um, just ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. Right now, we come underneath your word. It is instructive and authoritative for us. And I trust that in the power of the Spirit, you would speak clearly to hearts and minds. And Lord, my, my plea this morning is that you would help me to be faithful to what you've already spoken. Help me to be clear with the text for my friends in front of me. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What is the difference, let me start out with this, what is the difference between a person who is lost and a person who is like temporarily wandering away, right? A person who's lost and a person who's temporarily wandering away. Perhaps at first blush, they, they carry some similarities, and sure, certainly there are. But I'm going to suggest that being lost and wandering are different. Let me make my point with an example. It is one thing to lose your wallet in a crowd, say, uh, Wells Fargo Arena, or if you go to the Iowa State Fair, or Midtown Manhattan, right? It's one thing to lose your wallet in a crowd than opposed to losing your wallet at home. Like, you lose your wallet at Wells Fargo Arena or Midtown Manhattan, like, you're really nervous about not getting that back. Thousands of people. Who knows who picked it up? Who knows who's already swiped the credit card? Like, you're, you're immediately going to, to cancel mode. Cancel the card, cancel the card. <laughs> Got to get a new license. Never going to see that thing again. That feeling is different than losing your wallet at home. Like, I've done this hundreds of times, right? My family knows this. It's like, I can't find my keys. I can't find my wallet. Well, what are the typical places that dad usually leaves his keys or what? Okay, in the couch. It falls between the cushions, right? Or uh, in my jeans that I wore yesterday. It's in there. It's in the hamper, but, you know, I left it there. Right? We know that, that feeling, that anxiety is a lot different than losing your wallet in Midtown Manhattan. Like only a miracle is going to bring that wallet back. But if the wallet's in the house, if it's in the house, I mean, there's a sense that it's eventually going to turn up. Right? This distinction helps us to understand, I think, today's passage. People can be absolutely lost or temporarily wandering away. And I think at this moment, Jesus is asking us to consider those who are like wandering within the house. Matthew 18 verses 10 to 14 is obviously not about losing a wallet, but a, but a sheep who has wandered away from other sheep and away from the shepherd. In this church and in every gospel preaching and believing church, there are sheep who are wandering. Today's message is about a God who lovingly and relentlessly seeks after wandering sheep. He seeks after them and then he rejoices 
when they're back in the sheepfold. Even more, today's message is about God using his church to pursue wandering sheep. So it is my goal in the remainder of my time to show you the hope that is found in the love and compassion of our Savior, the chief shepherd, who will not leave any of his children, his sheep, behind. Now, before diving into verse 10, I actually have to explain a few contextual issues with the Bible you're looking at right in front of you. At least two issues we've got to contend with. First, many of you may notice that verse 11 in this chapter is missing. Like you got, like I'm not great at math, but I generally know 11 follows 10, and then what comes after 11 is 12. And if you're holding like an ESV, uh, that verse is probably missing, or there's an asterisk. If you're holding a KJV, King James Version, like if you're holding that, you'll probably see verse 11 included. It's like, what's going on here? Uh, in the 17th century, the translators of the King James Version did not have all the manuscripts that we currently have today at our disposal, right? We have, in part or in whole, over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts, right? That's a lot. They just didn't have that back then. So what's the bottom line? Well, I think it's good that the ESV and other modern translations do not have verse 11 included, or at the very least, they have that asterisk there that's indicating this was, this was added at a later time. It was likely interpolated, meaning it was inserted into the text sometime probably in the Middle Ages, if I had to guess and think about it historically. Someone came along and they added this particular verse. Why? Because they wanted this particular passage to sound and to be harmonized with Luke 15. Which leads me to my next contextual point, and then we'll really dive into the details of this text. This parable seemingly corresponds with the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, verses 1 to 7. When you read these two passages side by side, it is tempting to suggest they lead you to the same conclusion. And I'm arguing this morning, you need to resist that. Although both passages tell us about a shepherd who pursues one sheep that has gone astray, the passage in Luke, I think, is about evangelism. It is about pursuing those outside the Christian faith or outside the house, if you recall my opening example. And I don't think Matthew 18 necessarily leads us to evangelism. In Luke 15, we read about lost people, lost coins, and a lost sheep consecutively, one after another, boom, boom, boom. The pattern is, is unmistakable in Luke 15. In Matthew 18, Jesus is much more pastoral here. He's actually talking to his disciples about sin. Like if you just look at your text, and you look at Matthew 18, before we get to verse 10, Jesus is talking about the sin of, of specific cities that he's preached at. And then after verse 14, he again talks about sin, personal sin, and forgiveness from sin. The passage in Luke 15 and Matthew 18 are not opposed to one another. Not opposed to one another, but they're accented differently. And this makes sense when you consider the primary audience of each gospel writer. Luke was primarily writing to a Greco-Roman crowd, right? 
And Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. A, a Greco-Roman audience would have been hearing the gospel, a lot of them for the first time. They would have, they would have heard the gospel Luke preached, and they'd have been like, oh my goodness, I, I've never heard about this man named Jesus. But when Matthew writes his gospel, he's writing specifically to a Jewish audience who's like, who is the Messiah? Is it John the Baptist? Is it this guy named Jesus? Very different approaches. Knowing this allows us to better get our minds around the words of Christ in Matthew 18. So here's the flow of the passage, and then we'll dig into the details. In Matthew 18, verse 10, Jesus administers a warning, but also demonstrates care. We're going to talk about the warning and then the care. In verse 12, again, we're skipping verse, no, verse 11. Jesus asked two questions that we need to ask of ourselves this morning. And then in verse 13 and 14, we read about this recovery and rejoicing of this, of this sheep that was once outside the sheepfold. So let's see how Jesus leads us to the point where we must be pursuing wandering sheep as a church. We read in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. The first question we need to ask is this. Is Jesus talking about children when he says little ones? Or does he have something else in view, a different type of person in view or people in view? The answer, in part, is understood when we know that Jesus uses metaphor, metaphors to talk about his people. Jesus uses this idea that we're children, right? He uses little ones. He's also sheep, right? As we see all that today in our passage. And when you consider the context of this passage, the point is reinforced. Therefore, it seems little ones are about other members of the faith community and not necessarily like little children children. Another truth we can glean from verse 10 is that Jesus is concerned about relationships in the church. He's concerned with, with how you interact with another person in this room. Jesus makes this clear when he warns his disciples, do not despise. Do not despise. One of the, the uh, dangers within the church is that an individual or individuals can be conveniently ignored. <laughs> I've been in that church where specifically church leaders look for the person that looks like them. Right? And they despise unintentionally many times other people. The church must fight the temptation to look down on one person and then elevate another person. Fight the ideas in your head that, that suggest, you know, this person, he's, he's pretty cool. How many times have I heard this in the local church? Have you seen how gifted that guy is? It's like, come on. As if we're not all image bearers of God. Do not despise, Jesus says. We must be careful not to dismiss someone because they don't fit our box or checklist because of, they, don't, they don't act or look the way that we think they should. What if someone walked into the, to the church like, you know, all tatted up, 
head to toe. Got the face tattoo even. How would you react? Not knowing the person, just from perception, right? What would you assume about that individual? How would you respond? That person could very well be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. The only difference between that type of individual and myself before knowing the Lord was different choices that I made. I didn't get the face tattoo, but I made a lot of other poor choices that you just can't see. Do not despise, Jesus says. Do not despise. You know who was despised? Matthew, the one who wrote this gospel, a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector. Like he was the guy, he, he was Jewish, he was a tax collector, so he's going to his fellow Jews and being like, I need to take money from you to give to the Romans. They're all like, whoa, nobody. I don't like you. He was despised. All members of the body of Christ are viable, and we should never look down or treat others with contempt. Disciples of Jesus Christ must receive one another and not cause others to go astray. Like, this kind of dawned on me just late Saturday afternoon. Could it, could it be that Jesus needs to preach about the one wandering sheep because the community actually despised another person? That's why he has to preach the parable in the first place. Like we have verse 12 because of verse 10. All members of the body of Christ are valuable. Earlier in Matthew 18, this point has already been emphasized. This is what Jesus says about, again, little ones in verses 5 and 6. Whoever receives one, one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Now, could it be that Jesus is talking about literal children? Yes, certainly. Could it also be true Jesus is talking about spiritual children? Yes. Like, think about this. When you, when you put verses 5 and 6 alongside verse 10, the warning is so strong. At the root of Jesus' dynamic and robust statement is actually care. Care for sheep that could be vulnerable. Perhaps someone newer to the Christian faith. And as we'll see in a moment, kind of that, that backsliding Christian. Like, wrapped up in these verses is such good news for God's sheep. I'll speak for myself. I can be a dumb sheep. <laughs> like there's this, there's this uh, I don't know if it's a gif or a mean, a little short little video, whatever, about this, sh- this sheep that's in this, um, in, the, in, the, in the hole in the ground, right? And the shepherd like helps the sheep out of this hole in the ground. And what does the sheep do? He goes right back into the hole and the, the shepherd comes and gets him out of the hole in the ground. What does that sheep do again? It goes back in the hole immediately. Like that's me. 
And yet, God is gracious and kind. I want to push this point by explaining the verb despise. The Greek word for despise can also be translated presume, think lightly, or disrespect. This is, an, I think, an emphatic point, and the force of this word is on the attitude of, that someone has toward another person. It's not first about actions, but actually what's going on in your heart. When you slander, gossip, or look down on others, your efforts indicate what's going on inside of you. When you read verse 10, you need to pause and ask, how have I looked down on others? Have I despised others? Whether it's in my own home or in my own church or in my community. When you read this warning by Jesus, your response should cause you to consider how you treat others in the church and then how to get on mission with Jesus to care for these people within the church. The care that Jesus has for little ones is also our care. If Jesus cares, we need to care. Now, one final point about verse 10. Jesus continues to tell us about his care and compassion when he talks about the role of angels. Like, there it is. You read scripture, and angels just pop up everywhere, if you, if you notice it, right? I've already spoken much about angels as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, so I won't linger here often. The primary takeaway is that angels who, quote, see the face of the Father are called to serve the saints. And this is a demonstration of the care and compassion for God, for his little ones, for his, for his children. God cares for all of his sons and daughters. This leads us to verse 12, which now presents you with two questions. In light of what we read in verse 10, and we now have two questions to contend with in verse 12. The first is, what do you think? What do you think? The first question is straightforward, not complicated. By asking us this question, Jesus invites us to, to ponder and reflect That's what Jesus is asking you to do this morning. What do you think, church? Jesus wants us to work something out with him as he tells this parable, which is the heart of this passage. So the second question by Jesus should create some, I think, good tension within us. And I read in verse 12, If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? So that's the second question. Doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 to go get that one? In verse 12, Jesus uses a metaphor of a wandering sheep, which we need to connect with little ones in verse 10 and verse 14. Who are the 99 sheep? They are the faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. The one wandering sheep is, I think, a believer who wanders away from intimate fellowship and consistent obedience to Jesus. But notice how the focus of this passage is actually not on the 99. It's on the one. The rhetorical question is obviously evidence here. There were a hundred sheep on the mountain, and one wandered away. Which leads us back to that first question, what do you do? What do you do, church? Before answering the question, let's press home the metaphor. We have sheep and a shepherd, and obviously you know, many of you know, this metaphor is used all throughout Holy Scripture. The metaphor of sheep is helpful because sheep follow their shepherd. 
To be following means you are enjoying protection. It means you hear a voice that you trust. I know this isn't like sheep-shepherd relationship. It's like my dog and myself, right? When my, when my dog Winston hears my voice, it's like there's like instant trust that he has in me. Ah, he's home. Wagging his tail, you know, following me around everywhere. To be a sheep without a shepherd is to be without leadership, to be without unity from the whole, to be helpless, and, and honestly, to be facing trouble. Listen to how Jesus, the chief shepherd, describes his relationship with his sheep in the Gospel of John. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can hear the intimacy between the chief shepherd and his sheep. Doesn't matter if you're a little sheep, a big sheep, a young sheep, an old sheep. Sounds like a, like a Dr. Seuss book, right? It does not matter if you have been saved one day or 50 years. When you belong to this shepherd, you will hear his voice. You will follow. You have eternal life. You will never perish. And no one, including the devil, will snatch you from the hands of the shepherd. Again, a, a saying that is personal to me, which I share with you quite often, is this. The smell of the sheep is on the shepherd. The smell of the shepherd is on the sheep. That's an intimate relationship that all followers of Jesus Christ have. There's lots of metaphors um, used in Scripture to describe God. Here are a few more. I've been pointing them out to highlight this intimacy between the shepherd and sheep. God is obviously described as a king, Isaiah 9, 7, Revelation 11. God is said to be a good Lord, Psalm 34, Nahum 1. God is the Alpha and the Omega, it's Revelation 1. He's the beginning and he's the end. God is also called deliverer throughout the Psalms. God is compared to, or his metaphors used as with, him, with him personal objects, like he's a rock, he's our shield. And these are just a few examples. These descriptions are all a sermon of themselves, but none of these descriptions of God are more personal to you than him being our shepherd. A shepherd lives among his sheep and is consumed with care, concern, and protection for his sheep. Ryan rightly brought this up. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but it's a familiar passage as we were talking about weariness, about weary Christians. It's a good passage. It helps us to further paint the picture of this parable. The psalm further explains the heart of God to go after the one who wandered away. King David, a sheep, says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Think about it. He's probably one of the most powerful persons on earth at that time. And even he is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The, the, the good shepherd restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Such a beautiful psalm. We hear from these verses a dependent King David allowing his shepherd to comfort him, to restore his soul, and to lead him. The shepherd that David pleads to and is comforted by is the same shepherd that goes after 
that one wandering sheep. And of course, you know, the shepherd's name is Jesus. Can you wrap your mind around the kind of shepherd we read about in Psalm 23 and Matthew 18? Can you get there? The invitation by Jesus to ponder this parable should lead us to a a better picture of him who cares immensely for his sheep, especially that one wandering sheep. Now let's move to the next point where we continue to read about the love and care of the shepherd. Jesus answers his rhetorical questions with recovery and rejoicing. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Should perish. In verse 13, we read that the shepherd rejoiced when the one lost sheep returned. And then in verse 14, we read about the will of the Father in the recovery of that one wandering sheep. So, so let me look at verse 14 first, and then we'll back into verse 13. The care and love of God can be seen, I think, in many parents with children. Like, Here's an example. While writing this sermon, I stopped to consider, what if one of my daughters wandered off at the state fair? Already, I'm not too fond of like the state fair, it's like the people. It's like, ah, it's crazy. That aside, I could not imagine the internal turmoil over one of my daughters wandering away. Like, what would I be willing to do to bring my daughter back into my arms? What would you be willing to do? How far would you go? How much would you pay? Like, for me, here's the home, here's the car, here's the savings, here's the checking out. Have it all. I give it. I'll give my own life to ensure that my daughter is safely back with me. This actually happened um, to no fault of our own. A while back, none of you were part of this story. But we were at the Minnesota Zoo, and a frightening thing happened. All of a sudden, we couldn't find our oldest daughter, Chloe. Like We entrusted her trusted her to be watched by some other individuals, and she was just gone. Like, oh my goodness. Well, one, you feel like a horrible parent. <laughs> You're right. But beyond that, it's like, where is she? Now, she had the good sense to find a worker, and praise God, it all worked out fine. But like, you, something happens in you. It's like, she's wandered away. We need her back now. Not yesterday, now. The chief shepherd is even more willful and relentless in recovering his one wandering sheep. Why is the shepherd relentless and willful in the recovering of one wandering sheep? The good shepherd will cross the hills and valleys to find you if you are his and you have gone astray. When the chief shepherd calls you by name, he will not ever let you go. I mean, that's just a biblical promise. When you've been saved and justified by the shepherd who died on a cross for your sin, recovery is inevitable. If you're, you're obviously here today, but if you're here 
and you've wandered away, my encouragement to you right now is to stop right where you are at. God is calling you right now. Come back to the sheepfold. Instead of wandering, repent and run like crazy to your shepherd who is waiting for you with open arms. He loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. On recovering the one lost sheep, J.C. Ryle says this about verse 14. I, I, I think this, this is really moving, and it gets to the heart of the shepherd. And I quote, These words are meant for the encouragement of all true Christians, and not only for little children. You kind of see what he did there. He's broadening it out. The connection in which they are found with the parable of the hundred sheep and the one that went astray seems to place this beyond doubt. They are meant to show us that our Lord Jesus is a shepherd who cares tenderly for every soul committed to his charge. The youngest, the weakest, the sickliest of his flock is as dear to him as the strongest. They shall never perish. None shall ever pluck them out of his hand. He will lead them gently through the wilderness of the world. Such a great quote. The shepherd is here to guide and lead you while you traverse this world. And these are sweet words for one wandering sheep. And, the, and this is a, a lovely reminder for someone who counts themselves as a part of the flock. Like you're in the 99, but you're tempted to stray. You're tempted to stray. Perhaps you're here today and you know that you've been wandering from God. God, with love and compassion, is taking you by the hand. He's got you. He's bringing you back to the 99. He's bringing you back to the 99. So along with recovery, there's rejoicing. Like I said, we're backing into verse 13, from verse 14 to verse 13. Verse 13 is a stunning response by our shepherd. The shepherd rejoices over it, more than the 99 that never went astray. Now, there's no doubt that the joy of the shepherd for the one sheep that was recovered over the 99 may seem bizarre to some people, but it is only bizarre for the person who has a hardened heart. The potential response of the 99 is, is kind of like the brother of the prodigal son from, from Luke 15, actually, right? Prodigal son goes out, squanders everything, comes back, and it's clear that the older brother had a hardened heart. The older brother was jealous. The joy of the Father in heaven, who sees his son or daughter repent of their wandering to come back to the 99, is nothing but immeasurable joy. It's like you're here. Oh, praise the Lord. And that should be our response. That should be our response. Any earthly father or mother with a wayward son or daughter would also respond with immeasurable joy. Yeah, you made a lot of poor choices, but you know what? It does not compare to the fact that you're back. You're right here, right where you're supposed to be. Any person in this room who has a wandering friend who's professed faith in the Lord 
And you've seen previous fruit and they've wandered away. And if they've come back, you rejoice. Right? Do you not? Now let's apply this parable to our lives by finally answering the question Jesus invited us to ponder. What do you do when someone wanders away? Recall my opening example of the lost wallet. The wallet was lost like in the house. Obviously, instead of talking about a wallet, let's talk about people. I want to end or move toward an ending of this message by talking about two groups of people. First, I want to directly address those folks who are accounted for and in the house. When roll call is given, you say, here. The second group of people are those wandering in God's house, or perhaps you've wandered like, you've opened the front door, you're like, wow, it's a nice green lawn. I think I'm going to go outside. First, to those present and accounted for in God's house, it is important to know that we are not exempt from wandering, myself included. Reflecting on one of my um, favorite hymns, Paul Tripp comments on Come Thou Fount. Let me read a portion of this hymn, and then I'm going to give you Tripp's comments. And just so you know, we're going we're to sing that song when I'm done. O oh, to grace... How great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. And here's the confession in the song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Now here's what Tripp says on this hymn. We wander away when we express the anger we feel toward our spouse or children. We wander away when we covet the blessing of a friend. We wander away when we compromise biblical conviction for acceptance, for possessions, or for position. We wander away when we surrender to a moment of lust. We wander away when we doubt God and his goodness. We wander away when we have an opportunity to be salt and light, but remain silent and inactive when the cares of this world squeeze out a diligent pursuit of God. Wandering does not only refer to rank and apostasy. Much of our wandering is subtle and unnoticed. This is why we need one another. It's easy to identify someone who has disengaged from the church community, right? When someone starts wandering toward the fence line, kind of looking at the gate, the church must be Christ-like to pursue that one person with sacrificial love and compassion. But we need to remember that we are prone to wander every single moment of every single day. What keeps us from wandering? There are several things we can do, but here's just a few. First, communion with God keeps us from wandering. That's an obvious one. Fellowship with our Good Shepherd begins with reading this book. We read, we read God's Word. It's not new information, but a really good reminder. I mean, if you've been coming to this church long enough, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you've heard this, reading this book is critical to keep you from wandering. Second, Communion with God also means embracing and living out what you know to be true about Christ's life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eternal reign. You need to live out 
the gospel with what you say and what you do. We, we take on the likeness of Christ for our very life. We want that reflected in the world for God's glory. So yes, ongoing transformation. There's ongoing transformation. Third, communion with each other keeps us from wandering. Paul's trip's words at the end are so true. Much of our wandering is subtle and unnoticed. This is so true. This is why we, we need each other. Before most of you arrived, we prayed with those who were serving this morning, and I made a statement that I stand by. This is not, I can't remember how I articulated it in that moment, but it went something like this. This is not about Sean Powers. Redemption Hill is not about Sean Powers. It's not about Pastor Rob. It's about us. It's about God's church. It's about us living in gospel-centered community with one another. It's when we live in community with each other that others can point out the tendencies we cannot see in ourselves. Let me say it this way. If you want to keep yourself from wandering, by God's grace, like be active in the local church. We were designed by God for this kind of community. God has ordered and sanctioned two areas of life that are very clear. The home and the church. The home and the church. So being active and understanding God's design for you in those two, those two spheres is, is critical. We were designed for community. And I thank God for this because if I were left to myself, like if Sean Powers was left to himself, he'd be a goner. Like I need you. Like hear that from my mouth to your ears. I need all of you. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to relentlessly and lovingly pursue me as an extension of Christ. Now, perhaps you're wandering inside the house, or perhaps you're onto the yard, right? Roll call was taken. You didn't say, here. Perhaps you're considering taking a stroll down, down, the, down the street. <laughs> perhaps you're already there. Maybe you are the one wandering sheep. If that's you, you really need to hear this. There is forgiveness because the chief shepherd died for your rebellion. He died to rescue you from the power of sin and from eternal damnation. So come back to the 99. I trust that the Holy Spirit will use that exhortation in your life, in your heart however he sees fit. And hear this, you will not experience condemnation from the 99. Romans 8, 1 is so true. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You won't experience the condemnation. What you experience is the joy, the immeasurable joy. We will rejoice with our Savior who longs to see you walk in faith and obedience. Many years ago now. When you start saying many years ago, you begin to feel really old. <laughs> I, was a, I was a pastor over youth. And um, we had a youth event, and basically uh, it, was, it was coordinated. But I told the, told the youth, I'm like, you can ask me any question that you want. And so their wheels are like spinning. They're like, all right, let's do this. And someone had asked this question. Pastor Sean. 
What would you do if a girl in youth got pregnant? What a question. Here's how I responded. Listen, that individual knows the consequences already. She probably feels it really, really deeply. What we're going to do is we're going to come alongside her, love her, care for her, help her. Are there things we need to talk about along the way? Sure. That's the kind of tone that I think our chief shepherd has. Yes, sin is a very real reality. That, that uh, you know, question, that, that girl, if that were true, knows the depths of her sin. I didn't need to explain it to her. She felt it deeply already. What she would need is the love of Christ. And that's the kind of shepherd we serve. He goes and gets the one that's wandering away. Whether it's your temptation to anger or that one mistake that got her pregnant. The shepherd goes after the wandering sheep. If you're a wandering sheep, perhaps you you feel guilt, right? Guilt is a reaction to sin. Maybe you're feeling ashamed, right? Perhaps you feel embarrassed from wandering away for so long and so far. Many of us in this room can understand to a degree. But you need to know that these feelings can lead to lies. Hear that. If you feel embarrassed or shame, those feelings can lead to lies that actually push, push you further away from the 99 and push you away from God. The way back is hard and simple. Repentance is so important. Repentance of sin and to receive and remember the forgiveness that comes from Christ. You need to come back and be loved and cared for by God's people. Last, it needs to be said that in every gospel preaching church, there are wandering sheep, right? Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's obvious. There are husbands, wives, high school kids, friends, college friends, uh, children. As a church, how do we respond when people wander? Here are a few ideas to close. A few ideas about how a church can respond to wandering sheep. First, we need to heed the warning. If you're counted for, you say, here. Heed the warning by Jesus that we do not despise. We do not despise. Instead, we respond with compassion and love. Second, you need to plead and pray to God for the wandering sheep that you know. If you know someone's wandering, we just pray to the Lord. Bring them back. Third, you need to plead and pray for people by name with verse 14 in mind. So, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. There is a tremendous amount of hope in verse 14. God will accomplish his will in his people, and God uses the local church to accomplish his will. We need to engage the wandering sheep. The chief shepherd is engaged to go after one wandering sheep, so we need to be engaged to go after wandering sheep. We need to do the same. The church needs to remind wandering sheep of truth, of the truth of God and the love of God. Now, if you know someone who is wandering, Matthew 18, or someone who's completely lost, right? Luke 15, your response is the same. It's the gospel. Share the gospel over and over. Remind people of the gospel over and over. And demonstrate the gospel with your life.
Now, for those who are in the house and accounted for, you need to be humble in your pursuit of wandering sheep. And the hymn I cited earlier highlights our need to be humble. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.